Welcome to Still Dead from Chipperish Media. I'm researcher and general of the Ravenous Legions, Dr. Kelly Jones. And I'm story expert and sovereign pre-consul of death, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we're here today to talk about two Watcher episodes of Angel, Belonging and Over the Rainbow, episodes 19 and 20 of season two. We want to be doing anything other than shoveling demon horse poo, so let's raise the stakes. Longing, Angel screws up Cordelia's commercial gig by standing up for her as a human being, which, duh, she's a girl, Angel. She's still mad at him when Lauren comes to them with a problem. A portal opened in his club and a feral demon called a Draken got out and is roaming Los Angeles looking for humans to snack on. While Lauren is detailing the dangers of the Draken, Cordy gets a vision of a portal opening in the public library and swallowing a girl whole. When they go to the library, they discover that a girl named Fred, who'd worked there, went missing five years ago while in the foreign language section. They go there, discover a book with a strange language in it, and when Cordy reads aloud from it, a portal opens, shooting a Lorne-looking demon into the room. His name is Landok. He's Lorne's cousin. The Draken is from his home dimension, and they've got to go after it. While Landok chides Lorne for his cowardice, they find the Draken and defeat it, but not before Landok is bitten and poisoned by the Draken. The only hope for him to live is to send him back home. Back to Caritas they go with the book. They open a portal and send him back. But when the portal closes, they look around and discover that Cordelia has also disappeared. Belonging aired on May 1st, 2001. It was directed by Turi Meyer, who will return to direct two more episodes in season three, and written by Sean Ryan. This is the last episode Ryan wrote for Angel. All right. So, Dr. Jones, how do you feel about this episode, Belonging? I have mixed feelings. Mm -hmm. um, so on our pH scale, I gave this a three. Right. Kind of right in the middle. Mm -hmm. There there are things I really like about this episode, but I kept getting thrown out of the story, especially during the first 15 minutes, which were both annoying and slow. Yes. That's because of structural problems. I'll explain yes. that later. <laughs> and like an incredibly asshole director. And yes. I, I, I mean, in the a character, not like yes. the actual director. Right, right. We're not we're not besmirching Tori Meyer. No, all. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I found myself really blocked on this mm -hmm. week's Still Dead script um, for both of these episodes. And I kind of realized there's a convergence of ideas here mm -hmm. of belonging and identity and authenticity and family and home and chosen family. And all of those are difficult for me. And the discomfort I was feeling was an emotional reaction to the character's emotion, mm -hmm. which is actually an effect of good storytelling. So yeah, but it doesn't make it any easier to talk about. No, it doesn't. Yeah. But but the first third of the episode and just some of the assholery and some of mm -hmm. the shallow crap and lack of consideration to things I hold dear <laughs> <laughs> annoyed me enough to bring this down to a three. So yeah, what about you? Well, for me, it's a four. And I think mm -hmm. that I, I like the themes of it, you know, and I think that those are it's very cool kind of the way that they built that. But structurally, this episode is a hot mess. It moves really slow. The first, I don't know, almost half of it has absolutely nothing to do with the Draken doesn't even arrive until like, I don't know, 18 minutes in something mm -hmm. like that. Um, so that's a big problem in a 42 minute story, not to mention the fact that really you need to launch with your inciting incident people. I mean, God. All right. Anyway, um, 
So for me, like I, I, the structure of it bugs me. I think the storytelling is is a bit sloppy, but mm-hmm. thematically, I think it hits so many interesting points. It shows each character in terms of two communities: Angel Investigations, and then their external community. Except for Angel, who um, who doesn't fit in at Angel Investigations, and that's his only community. But everybody mm-hmm. else is struggling with their their communities outside. You know, um, Wesley has the problem with his father Cordy of course is having difficulty in the acting world you know Gunn's community is is upset that he's not there with them anymore because mm-hmm. he's pretty much chosen to spend his time fighting demons with Angel and Cordy and Wesley um, so it's it's really neat oh no also we've got Lauren you know who's who's on the outs with his community and his community is reaching for him and he's rejecting it you know so I think it's it's really cool for me that they work so well with all of these these kind of themes in belonging Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I like that but I think that narratively they really miss the boat it's not strongly written so for me it's a four you articulated the conflict there much more clearly than I could (laughs) (laughs) well you know I mean it's I think you articulated everything that you had to say really clearly but it's just that like for me you know narrative is a primary value and so Mm -hmm. if the narrative is a mess and I mean for you like the narrative's a mess but for you you experience that as slowness it's losing your interest you're not really and that's why having your narrative work be tight makes it better because it makes it easier for people to stay interested while you're doing all that really great thematic work yeah yeah it's interesting because I tend to experience stories emotionally first Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then try to take you know try to take them apart but your like structure of narrative as scaffolding for emotional experience for a reader is really fascinating to me now that I can start to see a little more of it as we Mm -hmm. go along so it's great learning for me (laughs) <laughs> you know as well but yeah it's it's really fun to to kind of analyze this stuff and I love hearing your take on it so well what... yeah you know that always delights me like... <laughs> so what were some of your moments of perfect happiness here well, I have to say the thematic work in this episode, I think, is is really what I love the most. You know, um, this mm-hmm. episode is talking about community. No one really fits in anywhere but at Angel Investigations, except for Angel, you mm-hmm. know, who has absolutely no clear role now that he's come back and he's just kind of working there, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, he's really working hard to hand over the decision-making to Wesley and to kind of like let people do their thing. But that leaves him sort of without a real sense of himself within that community. And that's the only community that he has, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it's not like he's hanging out with vampires, you know, on his on his off time, right? So I really like that. I like that reflection, you know? Mm-hmm. And we've got all of them struggling to to understand themselves in any context that is not angel investigations. Angel investigations is the only place where any of them fit except angel. And I really kind of like that. Yeah. It was really interesting to kind of see this from a couple of different sides from angel, like his, his awkwardness at being at that restaurant at the beginning Mm -hmm. was, was kind of endearing because he does not and never will belong there. But the rest of the team does. And he's trying to be there for them and him standing in that fake, lamp sunlight you know on Cordy's yeah. set and his joy in that moment like not bursting into flames yeah. just delights me you know he doesn't belong in the sun but he loves that feeling so much but I did like I was really interested when we meet Landoc mm-hmm. that like it's it's such a conflict for Lorne yeah but it seems like maybe 
BFF territory for Angel. Right. Exactly. This this world where you solve things with swords and Landok so appreciates Angel for being a warrior. And like, I kind of was thinking, you know, that might yeah. be a community that speaks to Angel and it's literally not of this world. Yes, exactly. Like he doesn't even belong here. Right. You know? So, yeah, I mean, I think that that is a really cool kind of reflection, especially because at that point, we're looking at Lorne in the context of his family, of where he comes from, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, Landok comes through and he's like, we thought you'd maybe sacrificed yourself because you were such a shame, you know, a source of shame for your family and all of that. It's really kind of neat, you know, and I kind of like how. Lorne and Angel sort of have a, despite being so incredibly different, really have a camaraderie, mm-hmm. you know, and yet the place that Lorne hates more than any other place in the entire known universe, right, is a place where where Angel can actually feel comfortable. It's a yeah. community. It's a, it's a culture that Angel can understand. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, too. Yeah, I liked that. Wesley talking on the phone with oh. his dad is so heartbreaking like we don't we get a lot of very subtle um although i guess this wasn't terribly subtle but like we get we've gotten a lot of subtle kind of hints so far that that wesley's home life that his dad his family that he almost feels with them although it's much more british and passive aggressive than (laughs) than, uh lauren's which is directly aggressive right but that sense of you know complete disapproval and when he's on the phone with his dad trying to tell him that he got promoted And that he's the leader. And you can just feel him being knocked down by his dad's, like, you know, just emphatic disapproval of anything he does, no matter what. Yeah. It's so heartbreaking. It was. Like, his sadness and his disappointment were just palpable, you know. And he just wants his dad to be proud of him. And his Mm -hmm. dad seems to have no idea how amazing Wesley is. And it, it just hurts my heart. Yeah. And he's still... You know, he's taken that leadership role and Angel's being good about handing things over to him. But I don't know that Wesley's completely internalized it yet. Yeah. And then just to have that taken down again by his dad, I just wanted to give him a hug and make him some tea. I know. I know. (laughs) Sit with him and have some tea and explain to him, you know, how we can make things better. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Let me make it all better, Wesley. We might need to give you a bullet in the still 30 section this week. We might. We might need to. As Wesley, as we move forward with Wesley, we may need to do that. We may need to do that. Um, So the whole thing with the sexist director um, on the set for Cordy was uh, terrible. And I hated it, but... I mean, I hated it, obviously, you know, lose the robe, princess, tell David I'm supposed to want to sleep with this woman. I don't. Like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, my God. Like, he was the most punchable person, I swear to God. An angel wanting to, like, tear his head off. I loved that. I yes. loved Angel standing up for her. Um, I hated Cordy having to sacrifice her dignity and sense of self for Mm -hmm. this idea like this this idea that angel was the one who was misbehaving because he was ruining her shot because the only way you can get a shot in this business is by sacrificing yourself as a human being you know um which so i mean i hated it obviously but i thought it was really well done and the fact that cordy you know, can't fit in there, you know, mm-hmm. and then she gets to this point, she's like, I hate my whole life, you know, and then she gets to this point later where she's yelling at Angel, you know, for, you know, maybe you embarrassed me, like whatever. And then she goes, who am I kidding? I embarrassed myself. I just wanted to act. That's yeah. all. Yeah. 
And that inner conflict, that sense that she can't be herself in the space where she really wants to be, it's so heartbreaking. And so I thought it was well done, even though I just I wanted so badly to punch that director. And I don't see why they couldn't have just worked in something where Angel like goes back and just punches them in the face and then leaves. Yes, that you would know? have been fantastic. Angel I could know. have left like accidentally left his sunscreen behind and had to go sure. back and retrieve it and yeah sure. that would have been great <laughs> yes I would have really appreciated yeah that. and I really liked Cordy's line you know when she was talking about wanting to be an actress and she said I just wanted them to like me because I was good yeah and like that kind of honesty is yeah. so hard and Cordelia does it really well mm-hmm. and I really appreciated that but it's also interesting like when we get to the end of season two, which we're very close to, mm-hmm. I really want to talk about the idea of wish fulfillment and how mm-hmm. it plays out. But like we see this here, right? The idea of Cordy as a princess and Angel yeah. as a warrior and mm-hmm. Lauren on the stage. And like, I think it's just really, really interesting things to keep an eye on yep. as we're mm-hmm. as we're kind of going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff in there, especially, you know, talking about the kind of roles, like there's what Cordy wants to do with her life. Mm -hmm. And then there's what she's meant to do. I mean, it's almost a Buffy thing, right? You know, Cordelia did not choose to have the visions, but she got them. And this is her role. And this is what she needs to do. And so she's trying to do other things, but she just can't fit in. She just can't make it, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's really kind of heartbreaking. And then we've got Gunn, you know, with his community, which is a different kind of thing. Like, you know, they come to him, they say hi, they're like, you know, really friendly with Wesley, everything's great. But then they're like, we just want your truck. Yeah, we don't want you. We understand that you're too busy for us, Mm -hmm. you know, and they feel abandoned. And Gunn has to choose between two communities that he loves and that that are important to him. We walk through this whole process of, you know, he leaves Angel Investigations to go into his community. And then his friend Rondell dies, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And that is so heartbreaking and so hard. Like, I think that Gunn's community story was probably you know, the most touching and, and the most difficult to, to say clearly what his choice should be, you know, yes. like with Cordy, it's like, oh, come on, you know, you're being treated this way. It's terrible. You know, I understand you want to act, but you are supposed to be at Angel Investigations. Wesley, mm-hmm. obviously never going to impress your dad, but you belong here, you know, right. and with Gunn, I'm looking at him with these two communities and I'm saying, you know, like he could really go and belong in either place you know even though he feels uh, like they resent him right you know for leaving from his his home community and that's a really kind of a really interesting and and complicated and nuanced story to tell it really is because he doesn't belong to that community anymore out of his own choice because Mm -hmm. he chose angel and he keeps choosing angel and his old crew can't wait for him Right. But Gunn really has the same identity in both communities. He's a warrior, yes. you know, mm-hmm. but he has to choose between those two teams. And I was wondering, is that a matter of priority? Is it a feeling of belonging? Is it because Angel Investigations does more than just fight vamps? Mm-hmm. Gunn has seen bigger now. He's seen more now. Does he feel drawn to it because of that? Is it his connection to Angel and Cordy? Is it, it is very difficult to figure out where he belongs within those two communities because he fits in both and he's valuable to both. 
Yeah, I think if his sister was still alive, he'd be with the original community. Yeah, I think, I you're think right. that losing Alana was so hard for him. Mm-hmm. And I think being part of that community probably brings that back because they all knew her. They all remember her. Right. But at Angel Investigations, it's a clean slate. He can mm-hmm. be there and they're not going to talk about, oh, that time that Alana did this or whatever, you know, right. which which could be really hard for him. Yeah, you know? that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. So I think that I think that he's also bonding. You know, he bonded a lot with Wesley. You mm-hmm. know, they became very close. And I think that he's, you know, in a smaller team that's that's doing things that are coming from visions. You mm-hmm. know, he may feel more effective. Yeah. You know, he may feel like the people don't need him. The people back home don't need him, that they're doing fine on their own, mm-hmm. you know, and he can be more effective. Like there's a number of things, but I think it is a really difficult decision for him to make. Yeah, I think so, too. But, you know, a not difficult decision, of course, is Lorne. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because as soon as Landok comes through the portal, he's like, you know, we thought you'd killed yourself because of your shame and cowardice and all this stuff. And it's like, wow, these people really, really don't like him. <laughs> and it's so funny because he's like, Lorne's like, the nice people really don't want to hear about our family issues. And Cordy's like, sure we do. And Wes is like, yes, let's hear about the cowardice and shame. I know. <laughs> And and it's so fun to see that personal part of Lauren because so far he's been he's been the host he's been the one with the answers he's mm-hmm. been the one who knows you know um, and we haven't really developed him as a personal kind of story and I think that it's it's really fun to see these personal elements for Lauren and we get we get to name him too this is the first time we actually hear his name Lauren up until this point in the show he's been known as the host right. Right. And I love that he he kind of names himself. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got like the big name of the Deathwalk clan, whatever. And he's like, I, I'm Lauren. And I really yeah. love that. But even at first, like when the portal opens and he's singing superstition and oh, my God, I could watch that man yeah. sing all day long. Oh, I know. And, you know, the portal opens and the Draken demon comes through. Even in that chaos, he tells the audience, it's OK. It's all part of the show mm-hmm. because Lauren belongs on stage. Right. But he's he's also a person and he's going to have to face his personal (laughs) things. And I loved the contrast of like how that that power that they have are used so differently Mm -hmm. because Landok can read like the waves of hostility from the Draken to track Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. But Lorne does that differently. You know, he says, I use that sense to help people find their destinies, and I'm a freak. He uses mm-hmm. it to hunt, and he's the golden spawn. Like, right. Lauren comes from a place with no music, no art, no shades of gray. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to me that that version of his hell might be Angel's happy place. Right. No emotions. Heartbroken champion. Just come and fight. Right. Like, exactly. it, was, it was just such a great... Contrast, but seeing, you know, Lauren's talents, which are so appreciated in L.A., Mm -hmm. absolutely dismissed and despised in his homeland. Yeah, exactly. I know. And everything that makes him wonderful here, Mm -hmm. you know, is exactly what they don't like about him there. And so it's it's nice that the Draken came through. He recognized it. He knew this was about his home, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just thought that was really fantastic. I love the way they built that. And it's so great to have Lorne named to have him, you know, kind of claim his identity, you know, within this within this group. So I I love all of that. And one of the things that I really did love (laughs) 
<laughs> because I knew how much you would completely hate it, uh-huh. uh, was when Lauren says, how come every time you and me hit the big city, we end up in a library? Snoresville. And I was like, oh, Dr. Jones is not going to let you get away with that. Right? <laughs> I was like, I felt so betrayed. I was like, Lauren, baby, I love you with all of me, but thou shalt not disregard libraries. So... <laughs> The plan is I'm going to make him a nice sea breeze. I'm going to sit him down and have a little chat. And then we're going to walk through the stacks and he can apologize to each and every book. Yes. And then it'll be fine. (laughs) I think that's a lovely way to spend an afternoon. Right. I think that's fantastic. So for me, like most of my delight in this episode really stems from that strong thematic work, mm-hmm. you know, and the the kind of like reflections of all of them struggling to belong anywhere but Angel Investigations, except for, of course, Angel. Right. And uh, and the structural work, you know, as, as I've talked about, is a bit of a problem because it, it takes forever to get this conflict going. This conflict really is starting when the Draken arrives, and that happens way too late. We just spend a lot of time kind of shuffling our feet around, you know, getting in all of these um of these thematic stories but not really paying attention to the narrative structure so you know i mean that aside i really really like um a lot of this stuff and one of the things that people thought that i probably would complain about at the end is cordy getting sucked away right Mm -hmm. um and the thing is is that because we see cordy in the new world you know, because we know where she is, you know, it, it is a game changer. If we had cut with Cordy just being gone and they're all like, Cordy, Cordy, and we didn't know where she was or what, you know, that context was, that would be a cliffhanger, oh. you know? And so that's, that's like, we're, we're it's so simple to switch from a cliffhanger to a game changer. It's just let us know what happened. Because if what happened is significant, then you've got a whole new stage on which to dance for the next episode. You know, and that's fine as long as we know what happened, Mm -hmm. but we're in this space where everything has changed. That's great. You've got it. That's good. Yeah. So that actually wasn't a problem for me. I kind of liked it at the end of the episode. Yeah. They've got a stage dance on with two sons. Absolutely. (laughs) They do. It's a whole new world. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what'd you have for stake this? Okay. So I think we're both going to agree on Angel being cheap and just some of the I don't know. Is it camp? Is it just ridiculousness? Mm-hmm. It just annoys the crap out of me. There's go out to a nice restaurant, but there's food poisoning and mm-hmm. Angel doesn't want to pay for anything. And oh, yeah, mm-hmm. inflation over the last 200 years and right. thinking a shawl is made from the skin of dead children. I'm like, OK, like, really, yeah. really? It just there's so much real story stuff going on here. And it feels like we wasted so much time on bad yeah. jokes. Yeah. It was just annoying as hell. And who who needs it? I mean, we have this moment where Cordy's saying moo, you know, and mm-hmm. she's about to say and then somebody says like it's a de- it's a demonic cow. And I'm like, "All right, like I get that you're you're pulling this in cuz eventually she's going to be over in Pylea referred to as a cow." Mm-hmm. And so we're making a reference and all that kind of stuff, but it's not worth it. Like start your story. Get your story started. Get the Draken in there. You know, in the opening scene, pull that in. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, we, we have we have Cordy having a vision and then there's a whole demon that they've got to deal with in the first 15 minutes. That isn't anything to do with the one that they're going to have to deal with when she has another vision. Like you just they just like messed up the structure on this. And, and in the in that opening scene, 
it there was some nice thing like you know there's angel doesn't reflect in the mirror and we have the mirror shot and there's all of that so you see angel out of place even within you know his community which is these three people you know so i mean that you know like them having dinner together all that kind of stuff whatever him the jack benny stuff like i just have absolutely no patience for that it's just kind of like a dumb joke i don't mm-hmm. care for it you know it's like goofy wesley it's like you know cordy and wesley bickering it's just one of those things that like it's not funny. It doesn't really do anything. It doesn't really speak to who Angel is because Angel doesn't care about money. Right. He always somehow finds a way to have it, you know, or at least have <laughs> enough to get through the day. But he's, but that's not like consistent with his character at all. And it's not really necessarily that funny, you know. Mm-hmm. Then the other thing that I really, really super hated was that moment when um, he goes back to the office and he's telling Wesley and Gunn about Cordelia's day on the set and what happened and that he thinks he's in trouble with her. And then he says he's also got her wearing this flimsy swimsuit that covers like nothing, Mm -hmm. you know. And then we have this beat where they all imagine it and you hear them say, oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's disgusting. Right. Mm -hmm. But they're all like getting off on the thought. And I just you know, that whole boys will be boys kind of thing just really irritates me. And I hated that. Yeah, I hated that, too. And, you know, the director being such an asshole and mm-hmm. dehumanizing her that way. And that, yeah. you know, the bathing suit stuff and the only sunscreen good enough for our man. I mean, right. Bear me this shit. And mm-hmm. and then we get we get toxic masculinity from Wesley's dad and mm-hmm. from Landock. And it's like. Can we just sit everybody down and say, look, emotions are universally human and everyone should have them and it's okay. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) right. I know it was just and it. I guess after a while, it just gets to the point that it's annoying. You know, it It makes me mad and it bothers me and all of those things. But I'm also so freaking sick of it being written into this show. That I'm, (laughs) well, also, it's not a good joke. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't care if a joke is, you know, like, I mean, well, I do. Obviously, I care if it's like bad, you know, Mm -hmm. but if it's, if it's a good joke. Yeah. You know, then like usually like if it's in bad taste, I'll acknowledge (laughs) that it's in bad taste. But if it's a well-constructed joke. Right. Then I'll be there for it. Yeah. (laughs) Like I have a lot of respect for a well-constructed joke. But this that they're all imagining her in a flimsy swimsuit. They're all objectifying her while she's not there. Mm -hmm. Like I get that Cordelia is beautiful. Right. Oh, yeah. I know she's beautiful, but she is so much more to that. And these men know that about her Mm -hmm. they know who she is they know what she is and they respect her and the idea that simply by virtue of being a man you cannot literally cannot stop yourself from objectifying a beautiful woman i find that both like dehumanizing for cordelia Mm -hmm. and just insulting for the guys oh yeah like to believe that men literally cannot be better than that is ridiculous right men can be they often are yes you know well and we even we saw that from angel when he first got to the set you know her cordelia's the other actress that was there with her Mm -hmm. was standing there in her bikini and angel smiles and walks forward and she thinks he's walking to her he's walking to the sunlight yeah like he is fully capable of appreciating something that is not a naked female body Exactly. But then we have to undo all of that for this, you know, very bad for joke. For a joke. Yeah. For a joke that's not well constructed. Yeah. If it was a good joke, I'd cut him some slack. <laughs> it's just not. <laughs> 
All right. Did you have anything else to stake? I did. And I don't know how to define this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I put it in like a sacred space box, but then I'm hoping okay. you can make narrative sense of this. Okay. One of them is just a joke because weaponizing a portal is bad. Mm-hmm. Weaponizing a portal in a library is a crime <laughs> against humanity and books. <laughs> Yep. That is I should have known. That is yeah. not okay. That is not okay. <laughs> that, that is just not okay. But yeah. then my, my three real ones were, mm-hmm. is Caritas a sanctuary or not? Because right. the rules of this world are getting fuzzy and I need this show to define its terms. Really? Right. Like- <laughs> well, I think that the Draken, the Draken comes into Caritas and knocks some things over, but doesn't hurt anybody because I think it can't. And then it runs out and that's when it starts to do damage. Yeah, but it gets in. Like it comes out and kills yeah, people. No, it does get in. And it got there the through opens. a safe space. Like, right. Mm-hmm. Eh, I don't like it. And yeah. it really bothered me that Cordelia's commercial and like all that crap that went along with that mm-hmm. got so much more story time here than the death of Gunn's friend. Yeah, the death of Gunn's friend, like Gunn's story in in this, like, you know, we've got Wesley and his dad and that's fine. We've got Cordy and her, you know, community of trying to like act and whatever, and that's fine. But Gunn's story has so much more dramatic weight than it is truly afforded. Like Rondell, who is a character that we have come to know, dies. Right. And a part of that that bothers me is that when when bad things happen to black bodies right Mm -hmm. we tend to i think not value them as much Mm -hmm. you know let's face it culturally i think we have a lot of evidence for that fact right right? and one of the things that that bothers me is when you have dramatic weights that are out of line we're we're so obsessed with this draken like you know that's running around and and has the potential to harm somebody Mm -hmm. But we're not spending any time with the fact that that gun like guns story is worthy of a whole episode unto itself. Mm -hmm. His struggle with choosing between his community and angel investigations is worthy of a whole story itself. Yes. You know, Um, his coming to that choice is worthy of a whole story Um, because that's that's got a lot of weight on it. Not to mention the weight of the loss of his sister, which we've already seen and have only referred to once. Right. Right. You know, and that's 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 got to have more weight on him. Yeah. So one of the things that happens, you know, in actually a fair number of stories, I've seen this a few times, is that you'll have something minimal happening with a white person. Right. And with the white people's story, you know, that gets so much attention. And then we'll have something that has such incredibly high dramatic weight happening in a person of color story, and it doesn't get that kind of attention. Mm-hmm. I like, like, if they had not killed Rondell, mm-hmm. you know, if they had not done that, if he had just gone back and had felt like his community doesn't need him, I think that that would have been, like, a better place for this. But killing Rondell, right. you know, right. that's something that that uh, that needs that attention. Like it needs that space. That is a high dramatic weight. Right. We've been through some stuff with Rondell. Yes. Rondell was there when Wesley got shot. Right. Like, he is part of this, you know. So, yeah, the way that we don't give dramatic weight to Gunn's story when we'll kill, you know, one of his friends, mm-hmm. like, you know, one of the top lieutenants, you know, in that organization, like, yeah. And the top soldiers, a top warrior, right, you know, like right. that's important. And, and I am, I am kind of like disturbed by the idea that 
if that was a white person, mm-hmm. we would have given it more weight. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to sit there and ascribe racism to people and like say, oh, my God, they're so awful, blah, blah, blah. Like all that's like this is something that's in the culture and what is in the culture gets reflected in our stories. And sometimes that's the way that we see it. Yeah. You know, like that's how like you look at it and you're like, wow, OK, here it is. Right. So so I don't want to like condemn people Mm -hmm. who made this show, you know, during a time where they may not have realized what they were doing. But I do see this happening a lot. And I think it's a problem. Yeah, I think it is, too. And because Rondell's funeral pyre, like that scene was so beautiful and so heartbreaking. But like Mm -hmm. you said, it's heavy, and it deserves story weight. And then Mm -hmm. not only, you know, do we shortchange that, the next time we see Gunn, he's hopping into the convertible to go through this portal. And he's fine because his trauma has now been moved like we've done that with Corey we do see him in the next episode we do see him coming in and saying that he's not going anywhere right he's not going to save Cordelia so we do get him like we we get a sense of him wrestling with that decision Mm -hmm. but in the end he just hops into the car with with Angel and Wesley and Lorne because the Angel left him a voice message Right. You know? Yeah. So it just that that bothered me a lot. And then no one seems overly concerned about Fred, even though she is the person that Cordy saw in her vision. Yeah. I mean, it was five years ago. Right. So I guess they're like, well, she already got sucked into a portal. But we know that these portals are opening and it does offer an opportunity to rescue you know, this girl who, who's been gone for five years. Right. So no, I think that, that that's something too, that when, when Cordy has a vision about somebody, it's because they can do something. Exactly. You know, and the fact that it happened five years ago doesn't change that fact. Right. Yeah. So I was just kind of like, okay, uh, usually when someone's in these visions, we pay attention to that person. Right. We're not doing that here. So yeah. those are some of my things I wanted to stake, but I did not know how to define. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I think those are all good. Um, so what bumped you up into research mode? What had you asking questions? Okay. So this I do know how to do. Yes. All right. So we talked about identity and responsibility and like conflicts of self in the context of belonging mm-hmm. and the way that Gunn is torn between his first crew, you know, and his second crew. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the contrast there with Lorne because... Yeah. And his first identity, like the one he was born into, has now crashed into his new mm-hmm. identity, which is the one he made for himself. Right. And so I, I was kind of wondering about this conflict between like origin family and found family or chosen family, because mm-hmm. he is both versions of Lorne and he does hold on to some of his authentic self. But meshing those two worlds is like agony for him and he doesn't want to do it. Right. Mm hmm. Because, and I get that, Lorne choosing to leave the world he was raised in and building a life based on who he really is, is one of the main reasons I love him so much. Mm -hmm. And it it reminded me in a weird way of Harry Potter. Sure. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. like that contrast there between Harry with the Dursleys and Harry Mm -hmm. with his found family at Hogwarts, like where his talents and gifts were appreciated in one place, but despised in another. Mm -hmm. I loved all of that. But yeah. I have no idea how to define or describe that narratively. So mm-hmm. is this a story thing? <laughs> is it is it a theme or is it like a character journey choice? Or I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to define it as a writer. I know how it makes me feel as a reader. 
Right. Well, both Lorne and Harry Potter were not the agents of their own salvation. You know, uh, Harry, those letters just came for him. Hagrid mm-hmm. came for him. He took him off to Hogwarts and a whole new world is there. Right. And the choice between before and after, there is no choice. Before sucks and after's great. Right. So, you know, before is where you don't belong and after is where you belong. So... In the case of Lorne and Harry Potter, I think that, I don't know that there's like a narrative term for that kind of device, um, but it is, you know, being brought into a new world and, and having a new discovery that this is the right place for you, you know, finding yourself, finding your found family. I mean, that's a theme in literature and um, and storytelling. And, you know, we've seen it a number of times. With Gunn, we have for him like an internal conflict. And an internal conflict, of course, is when you want two mutually exclusive things. Mm-hmm. Gunn wants to be faithful to his and loyal to his original group and his community but he's also you know a part of this new community and he can't do both as much as he wants to do both he really is leaning more toward being part of this business with Angel and I'm not sure I don't think textually we make a really strong argument for gun choosing angel investigations, aside from the fact that that makes him a starring role right. as opposed to a <laughs> recurring guest role. Right. Um, so extra textually, sure, we make a good argument for it. But um, but in the story itself, I don't think that we do make a good argument, which is why the only thing that I can do is headcanon that the old community is too painful for him because Alana was part of that community. Mm-hmm. And he is constantly reminded of her while he's there and escaping that pain Led him to, you know, Angel and Wesley and Cordelia, where um, where he doesn't have to face that. But the reality is that we never really deal with that. We have one moment where we deal with that, right. and that's it. Right. But that is a huge defining moment for him. And I think that I I think that like when I look at it, I think I explain it that it must just be less emotionally painful. Okay. For him to be in Angel Investigations. And also he is less, out of everybody, like he's less emotionally invested at this point in that group. Right. You know, whereas these people that he's been growing up with, they are truly, truly important to him. But that's also another reason why, like, why does he choose the new people who don't mean as much to him right. unless he's really trying to avoid that that emotional investment in which case that's a story that could use some telling yeah it could. and we don't get it, it could but I, I accept your headcanon on that because it makes sense it's the only thing that makes me comfortable yeah with it because otherwise it's just you know he's a starring you know, <laughs> right. character in one and a recurring guest in another and so we're going for starring you know which is great because I like having him oh, I yeah. like Gunn and he's he absolutely absolutely fits in but but I think that that whole story you know could have been an entire episode Mm -hmm. you know and should have been we could have replaced happy anniversary really easily oh god yes Um, that terrible episode we could have replaced (laughs) really nicely with an episode about guns internal conflict between his old crew and his new one you know that would have been nicely placed in there oh I totally co-sign that that. (laughs) oh absolutely absolutely but unfortunately we got what we got and gun his story is being shoved aside and shortchanged and that's not good no it's not so okay this is a very small research question but i want to know about fred's apple necklace like it was significant enough that her co-worker remembered it after five years it was in the vision Mm -hmm. we never hear anything about it again i don't think that we do 
I don't, I don't think, we think do. that we do. I take it, of course, as being about Apple Computer, um, <laughs> because those are the best, and they're so beautiful, and they're so elegant, kind of like Fred. I went to the Tree of Knowledge, and Fred works in a library, and she is the symbol of a woman working in an intellectual field, and that's why she's not getting the attention after being sucked through a portal, and she's going to bring elements of the intellect and the mind to this, and maybe that's a forbidden thing, and that's why she was punished and sent away, and like, I need to know what this damn necklace means. (laughs) I don't think we ever see it again. No, no, we really don't. And all of your stuff is really, really nice. Meanwhile, all I can think about is uh, is technology. I love so that, that you think that that's an apple apple. <laughs> yeah, but yours is much deeper than mine. Mine is just because I like Apple computer. <laughs> but yeah, no, all of that stuff you said is brilliant. And that could absolutely have been a thing. I think the only reason why is so that we we could know for sure that we were talking about, they just gave her an identifying thing so that we could know for sure that they were talking about the same girl because it had been five years. And uh, okay, you know. well, then I'm rewriting that in my head that she has a badass yeah. tattoo and that's how they identify her. Right. Couldn't they have given her a badass tattoo? That would have been so much better. It would have been pretty cool. It been pretty cool. <laughs> okay, so last one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when we, we have Lauren singing on stage, he's singing Superstition, yes. right? Uh-huh. And one of those lyrics is, when you believe in things that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the end with Cordy and her idea of opening the portal again and her reassuring everybody that nothing else is going to come through. Right. And she says, I don't know how I know. I just know. And mm-hmm. so we get this echo of her believing in things that she doesn't understand. Yeah, and I like that. then she gets sucked through the portal. But then I said, well, wait a damn minute. Why is she the one that got taken through the portal? Uh, because she's a girl. Oh. <laughs> Of course. Because she's a girl and we have to damsel the girl. Of course. <laughs> Which I'm going to get into in detail when we talk about this episode. <laughs> okay. Well, you want to brood us out of belonging? For right now, I think, I think I'm just going to brood a little bit. Uh, belonging sets us on the final four episodes of this season, which tell a four-part story and solidify the crew as real family. So for that reason, it's a watcher. Um, it also sets up a good thematic space in which our family, which has been fractured until recently, can reform stronger than ever. And it is just the beginning of that arc. So I think that's why belonging needs to be a watcher but we move into of course over the rainbow next which is also a watcher in over the rainbow cordy finds herself in pilea lauren's home dimension courtesy of a portal gone wrong she's caught enslaved dehumanized and then when her visions manifest tortured and tested for being cursed Back in L.A., Angel is determined to move the heavens and to travel through any worlds necessary to get Cordelia back. We meet Fred, the woman from Cordy's vision in the last episode. Fred has also been captured and enslaved, but Cordy doesn't recognize her. Five years in Pilea have been hell for Fred. Angel and Wesley continue to fight to find a way to open a portal, and after some very strong reluctance, Lauren and Gunn join them, and they manage to drive Angel's car through the other dimensional road to Pylea, where there are two suns blazing in the sky. But Angel is not on fire because this awful world has great sunlight that is not lethal to vampires. Also, humans are slaves there. Angel, Gunn, Wesley, and Lorne are captured and taken to the monarch, who ends up being Cordelia, decked out in a sequined bikini and a crown. 
Over the Rainbow aired on May 8th, 2001. It was directed by Fred Keller and written by Mare Smith. Mare Smith, of course, who I love dearly, and you should follow her on Twitter. Yes, she's fantastic. I don't remember remember what her... I think it's called Evil Prod Gal. Oh! I think it's Evil Prod Gal. I think that's her at Evil Prod Gal. She is just wonderful, and I love her, and she's so tough. Yeah, she's awesome. All right. So on your perfect happiness scale, Dr. Jones, what did you think about Over the Rainbow? I am right in the middle again at a three. Mm -hmm. So there are Mm -hmm. things I love about the Pilea story arc, but they come in the next two episodes. Okay. But the music Mm -hmm. element is especially interesting to me. And I still want to know how did Lauren come to music the way he did when he was born in a world where it doesn't exist. And so like the music of this keeps carrying me through it. And somewhere over the rainbow is one of my favorite songs ever of all Mm -hmm. time, all covers, all versions. (laughs) And the sad irony of it being the title for an episode about a harsh, cruel world without music was really intriguing. Yeah. Wizard of Oz is not one of my favorite movies. I think it's probably because of this like incredible ubiquity that it had to the point where it just became so annoying for me, mm-hmm. like an every element. <laughs> it's like a wonderful life at Christmas. <laughs> I hate it's a wonderful life. I always hate it. Every time it's on, I roll my eyes and I shut it down because I hate that movie. And Wizard of Oz kind of has that effect with me, but I don't think it's like through the value of the story itself. Although I'll never know because I won't watch it or analyze it or anything. It's not one of my favorite movies. And, and, there's a lot of problems with it that really bug me. But the rainbow mm-hmm. thing and that song. It's a nice song. Yeah, I just yeah. rewind it and sing with Judy Garland. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah Judy Garland is so yeah. lovely. But God, that I've kid. never heard a version of that song that I have not loved. So it's just the, oh. it's just the music. Like, it's like Lauren. It's not the world. It's the music. <laughs> it's the music. Yeah. Absolutely. For me, this is also a three. Like, I like a lot in this story. But the Pylea storyline honestly has never been a favorite of mine. The most interesting thing to me about Pylea is the fact that Lauren, who loves music, comes from a place that doesn't value music, doesn't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. But the world itself plays out a bit campy to me, you know, and so the real trauma of enslaved women and the specific traumas of Fred's experiences and Cordelia as she's being tested, you know, tortured Mm -hmm. um, is glossed over in favor of jokes. So it feels totally really out of sync for me. I mean, I like the jokes and without the darkness, I would probably be able to go along with this much better. But as it is, Mm It's, it's, uh, there's some good stuff, but it's just not great. Oh, that's so funny because I am the opposite. I'm like, this world yeah. should be dark and there should not be mm-hmm. jokes. Like the, the jokes get on my nerves. Like it's got to be one way or the other, but I would, choose I would one. go with the dark and leave out the joke. Oh, you know what? And that'd be fine with me. That would be fine with me as long as you choose one. But when, when we're making jokes over a race trauma, yeah, that bugs me. Erase trauma bugs Mm -hmm. me. When people go through traumatic experiences, you have to earn that in fiction. You don't get to traumatize your characters and then just be like, oh, no, they're fine now because they gave her a skimpy bikini and some grapes. So she's good. I mean, grapes solve everything. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So do you have any moments of happiness for this? So I did like Cordelia's badassery in the face of, you know, being captured and tormented and enslaved and, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, lost in a new dimension. Yeah. And she's still a total badass. And and I like her sort of rejecting the premise of Mm -hmm. how they want to treat her, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and and I love there is that moment when she's like mucking out that stall and she 
in Cordelia style is just being flat out honest with herself. I want to be home. I want to take a bath. Yes. I want to order Chinese food. And I'm like, mm-hmm. hell yes, because yeah. that is exactly what I would want in addition to kicking the ass of everyone there. And <laughs> yeah, so I did. I like that even though all these things are happening to her, she's still Cordy. Yeah, yeah. No, I liked that too. I thought that that was really good. And I love Angel's dedication to finding her. When he says, I just got her back, you know, I mean, God, it is so heartbreaking. I love how much she means to Mm -hmm. him and what he'll do to save her. I mean, literally move heaven and earth. And I just, I absolutely love that. So Cordy in the new world, I like her. I mean, I like her everywhere. Mm-hmm. I like Cordy in general. Yeah. But she is, she's tough, you know, and these people are, you know, putting collars around her and carrying her around, you know, on a stick, like a side of beef, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's crazy. And she's still tough. She still refuses to lose herself while she's shoveling that out. She's talking about the comforts of home. She's refusing to let go of that, you know? Um, And then when she talks to Fred, Mm -hmm. you know, and she's like, let's figure it out. Let's, how do we get out of here? And Fred's like, oh no, you don't do that. Right. (laughs) You know? And I love Fred too, but Fred of course is five years Mm -hmm. into this experience and that's heartbreaking. Oh yeah. 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 It's all, it's all really good. I love Cordy in the New World. I love this the band getting together Mm -hmm. right because we had this whole episode with belonging about how nobody belongs anywhere but they all belong at angel investigations Mm -hmm. right you know and so even though i feel like super shortchanged by the lack of story that they give to gun Mm -hmm. you know when he hops in that car at the end like i love that it is my favorite thing it's that moment where he's like i'm here i'm gonna do this thing and he's the one who had to make like a really important choice. And I don't like, I don't like the fact that we don't see how he makes Mm -hmm. it. We don't see why he makes it. We don't understand if he's running to something or from something. He just hops up, but but still when he hops in the car, I'm like, yeah, he goes here. You know, like I can't, I can't help but being happy that he's here. So, you know, it's, it's a tough thing because I, I didn't like a lot of it, but I love having him there. And I, I I was a little disappointed in Lorne Mm -hmm. though and his unwillingness to go. Um, But in the end, I'm just so glad he's there that I don't get like when they're all in the car together and they're all going after Cordy. Like, I kind of love that. I do, too. I love the moment with Gun and Angel because you can see how they're bonded. And mm-hmm. and there was that element, too, where, I, you know, part of this is Angel's dedication to Cordelia. You know, the lawyers show up threatening the hotel. That yeah. does mm-hmm. not distract him. So it's like yeah. Wolfram and Hart is not going to pull him off this path to Cordelia. But he takes that and leaves the information for Gunn. So it's like he's he's trusting Gunn with everything that's his in that world. So he can leave that world and go get Cordelia. And mm-hmm. I really love that dynamic between the two of them, you know, yeah. and, and just, but yeah, I'm with you when Gunn hops in the car. I'm like, yay. And <laughs> I'm so happy. I'm so, Even happy. I'm so disappointed. And I feel like he got shortchanged as a character. Yeah. Like, I'm just so happy he's there, you know, and it means. Yeah. A lot. And it made me wonder about the difference in reaction between Fred and Cordelia. I mean, for one thing, Fred's been stuck there for five years. Cordy's been stuck there yeah. for five minutes. But Cordelia mm-hmm. knows one way or another, someone's coming for her. Yeah. And I don't think Fred has that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think that that's really cool. I love all of that. Um, I also love Lorne's conflict 
Oh, yes. I love when he talks about how in Pylea they don't have music Mm -hmm. and music means everything to him. And he is, you know, he's so connected emotionally in a place that doesn't value emotion. He's he's connected musically. The fact that he would hear music and he didn't even know what it was but he would hear it. Yeah. That I think is so important. And then when he, when he gets, you know, the portal opens and it's clear that the portal that Fred opened, you know, it does a trade, right? Where Fred went, it pulled her in and where Lauren was, it sucked him out, right? you know, and it landed him right in the middle of Caritas, which he then built into this business and sang and, you know, read people and, and, you know, became somebody that people would come to when they were in crisis and he would give them guidance and all these things that he was obviously born to do. Mm-hmm. So I love that that conflict between the place where he was born and that being wrong for him, oh, yeah. you know, and um, and then the place where he ended up and, you know, was able to find family and all of that. And I do see like a, an LGBTQ kind of an analog for that, mm-hmm. you know, that people are born the way that they're born. And if you live in a world that does not value that or that actively denigrates that, then you can't feel fully yourself until you're somewhere else, right. you know, until you're in a place that will embrace you and accept you for what you are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Lauren's conflict of, of home and his experience with music and all of that was so wonderful for me. And the opposite dynamic of it, you know, when they, they go back to Pilea and Lauren kind of looks around and he's like, home sweet hell. And right. But Angel is so delighted. You know, here's this place with not one son, but two, and neither one of them is fatal for him. And he's kind of, you know, grinning and like running around like, I'm not on fire. Can everyone just notice how much fire I'm not on? And this, (laughs) you get this absolute joyful reaction from Angel to be back in like a true version of hell for Lorne, whereas Lorne's home is on stage. You know, he's the host, he's the singer. And when you put Angel on stage, that's hell for him. And I just love the contrast between the two of them. But one of my favorite parts of this episode was Lorne's friend, Aggie. Yes, I loved her. She was great. That actress was was so great. And and him having like a mystic equal and her Uh her turning the tables on him the way she did. Oh my, I like why don't we get more of her? Why doesn't she come back? Why does this show keep doing this to me? It shows me amazing, incredible things. And then they go away. Like, and then it just doesn't do anything with them. It drives I me know. nuts. And they, and they have great actors. Like that actress. Oh, she really was fantastic. She was great. Like she made me care about that character. Yes. You know, in a three minute scene. It was fantastic. I loved her and I'm really disappointed that we never see her again. Or at least I don't think oh, so. No, I don't, I don't recall think we ever do. seeing her again. I don't think we do. Um, I also was really pleased to see Daniel Day Kim mm-hmm. as Gavin Park, as much as yes. I don't care for the the weaselly, you know, Wolferman Hart lawyer who comes in ready to drown, you know, Angel and Paper and whatever. Yeah. Um, but I love seeing Daniel Day Kim. He's one of my favorite actors, and he is just a delight for me. I love It was him. great, and I loved Angel. Like, lawyers, don't you people sleep during the day? Like, <laughs> it was so great. It was so great. <laughs> Yeah, no, I thought that was absolutely fantastic. All right. So I think we're ready to go on to stake this. Uh, did you have anything to stake in this episode? I, I feel a little stakey, but not quite as strongly yeah. as you do. 
because I am biased and I am blinded by love. Um, So Uh I'm going to let you stake Lorne and then I will come and slap his wrist after you stake him and then I will take him to a bar. Right. I love Lauren's conflict in this. I love the fact that he had like is facing going back to a place that was absolutely hellish for Mm -hmm. him. But I hate the way that he he refuses to go and he keeps complaining about it. Cordy is in a place where she is in hell and Lauren of all people knows that Cordy repeatedly puts herself in terrible situations so that she can help people she doesn't even know. Lauren knows Cordy. He's part of this group. I mean, he's not part of it the way that everybody else is. Like, he hasn't become part of the team yet. He's It's not family to him, but he knows these people. And he knows who Cordy is. He knows how important mm-hmm. she is. And I don't believe for a minute that Lauren is a coward. No. I don't. I'm sorry. I just don't. I've seen him in so many situations. He is not a coward. So writing Lorne as a coward feels like a betrayal of the character. I love that he's conflicted. Mm -hmm. I get that he's conflicted. But using that refusal to go back. Oh, no, I'm not going back. Like up until the end. And when Gunn gets there, what's the first thing? Lorne tries to get out of the car. But the fact of the matter is that this is his planet. He knows it. He's a guide. They need him. He's important. And Cordy, and when he says, he even talks about like how hellish it is and how it's not going to be good there for Cordy and it's going to be really bad. And then just says, but I'm not going. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I don't, I don't believe that. It's not true to his character. And I hate that they did that to him. Yeah. And I kept wondering, like, is it because he's not sure he can get back? Is it because it's like Mm -hmm. there's a chance of being trapped there and he would rather die? Like, it's it's that bad. But it's and I think it's more than just going back to a bad place. Like, he's going back home. He's going back to what was normal. And for that to have been the hell that it is, is just it's just too much for him. And and I yeah. think he was trying to rationalize it like, well, this is Angel. He'll be fine. They won't need me. Blah, 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 blah. Because he didn't want to go. And like, yeah. I, I appreciated the flat out. I do not want to do this. I just wish it had been followed by, but you need me. So I'm going. Right. Right. And I mean, if he was even trying to find a way to get Cordelia back without having to go, I would have been on with that. Yes. Right. Because, because the thing is that like, Lorne, uh, I didn't like it because it really painted him as a coward. And we had Landau come through in the last episode and call him a coward. But we know that Lorne is not a coward and never has been. And he defines himself that way, too. He says, I am not a coward. And like, you know, he talks about like refusing to joust. And he says, how am I supposed Mm -hmm. to joust when I can see both sides of the argument? Like he, he knows he's not a coward. He has his values. He understands how they're different. So the only thing I could think is just the chance of being stuck there forever was too much. I get that he's scared of that, but he's a, he's an empath for Christ's sake. He is an empath. They could have honored both sides of that conflict with, I do not, there is nothing. I don't want to do more than this, Mm -hmm. but you need me. So I'm going. But I'll do it. Right. I, I wouldn't have even minded if he had gone to Aggie and said, hey, tell me there's another yes. way to save as long as he was working towards saving Cordelia exactly. while trying to stay home. Fine. Like, I'm good with that. But the cowardice of it is not who Lorne is. And I think that for me, it doesn't it doesn't piss me off. Like, I'm not pissed at Lorne. I'm pissed at the people who wrote Lorne because they don't know Lorne. Yeah. And, it, and it's is. not just cowardness, it's selfishness. 
and and yeah. that's not Lorne either. So yeah, yeah. he's not going to let he's not going to let Cordy like suffer in that hell, especially the no. way he describes it. No. You know, he'll f- try to find a way to get her out. You know. So anyway, I just that whole thing drove me crazy, but. I think what annoyed me like even more mm-hmm. is that once again, Cordy's the damsel. Yes. You know, once again, we put her in the situation of having to be rescued. Mm-hmm. And I just want to know, what is it? Men can't be in trouble in this world? Like, what is that about? Wesley got shot. Okay. He was tortured by faith. All right. And Angel had to rescue him. Fine. Angel was kidnapped into a demon fighting ring and Cordy and Wesley had to rescue him. That's fine. But why do we repeatedly go over and over again to this trope of the helpless woman that needs to be rescued, this damsel, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, most of our endangered uh, characters in Angel, and this is the vast majority, are women, right? We open up with the the, uh, pilot where we've got the girls that Russell Winters assaulted. We have Melissa Burns from I Fall to Pieces. We have Bethany from Untouched. We have Jira's women from She. We have Rebecca from Eternity. We have Alana in Warzone. We have Joe in Judgment. We have Judy in Are You Now or Have You Ever Been? Virginia in Guys Will Be Guys. I could keep going, but I think I've made my point, right? (laughs) That's off the top of my head. I have not even hit them all. But here we go. Cordy ticks every damsel box, mm-hmm. right? Kidnapped by Russell Winters. That's Cordelia. Impregnated by a demon. That's Cordelia. Demon spawn putting an eye in the back of her head. That's Cordelia. Harassed by an angry lady ghost. Cordelia. Kidnapped by a demon who wants to extract her visiony eyes. Cordelia. Oh, being right. given the visions by a kiss in the first place that she did not ask for sure. and did not consent to. Sure. Also Cordelia. Yes. Everything happens to Cordelia, Mm -hmm. you know, and so men are, yes, sometimes put in a little bit of danger, but it is not nearly as often as with women and with Cordelia specifically. And the thing is that like once in a while, it's not a problem, right? I mean, I have this kind of raindrop theory about this kind of thing, right? Where one raindrop, you know, you get a little wet, you whisk it away, it's fine, Mm -hmm. right? When you are deluged in raindrops, when it is thousands upon thousands of raindrops coming down on you, you're getting soaked and it's not okay. And that's when it becomes a problem. And so a lot of these things that happen, like, you know, culturally that end up in our stories, a lot of these things that these messages that we return back to over and over and over again, the helpless woman that needs to be rescued as one of Mm -hmm. them. It's repeated so often that it sends the message to women, you're helpless. You need a man to rescue you. You cannot rescue yourself, you know? But just look real pretty when they kidnap you because that is basically the entire thesis of Daphne and Scooby-Doo. Yes, That's very important. Make sure that your lipstick is still on when they get there. Right. And that you look good in a gold bikini. Yes. By all means. Oh, yes. That's very important. All of that stuff drives me crazy. So, I mean, honestly, and I thought about this and I'm like, you know what would have been better? It would have been better if Angel had gone through. Angel's the one person who didn't belong, even at Angel Investigations. He didn't have a role, Mm -hmm. right? If Angel had been sucked through that portal and Cordy was hell-bent on moving heaven and earth to get him back, and Cordy led this charge, right, to save Angel. But then you have Angel over in this world where the sun can shine on him, where he's around other warriors who appreciate him. You know, where Landok brings him in and hails him as a great warrior and these people love him. And then they move heaven and earth to go save him 
and he's happy, oh, wow. right? And then you can go with the rest of the story, the way that it, it evolves. And he can discover that this is his family and that is truly where he belongs, you know, is with them back in Los Angeles, right? But you've set up this whole thing in Belonging where Angel is the only one who doesn't belong anywhere, mm-hmm. you know? Even even the group of misfits that is Angel Investigations, he doesn't quite fit there either. To be sucked into this other world where, you know... Lorne is saying it's this horrible hell and his family comes to get him, yeah. you know, through a port. Like that to me, I think would be more thematically in line and it wouldn't have us in this space where Cordy once again has to be rescued. Oh, I love that so much. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, it's right there, but because the presumption is we have to put the helpless woman in this position, mm-hmm then that's where we end up. And it kind of sucks. Oh, it totally sucks. I just, I mean, I can't watch it without thinking about Princess Leia and the, the mm-hmm. damn bikini. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah. these women are so amazing and so awesome. And why do we keep doing this shit? But your take on if Angel had gone through that portal and Cordy had gone to get him and he did not want to come yeah. home, that yeah. would have been brilliant in so many ways. And and your family comes to get you. Like, right. you know, these people, like, Lorne sacrifices, Gunn sacrifices, Wesley sacrifices, Car- you know, Cordy sacrifices, all to go get Angel. And when they get him, when they get there, they find he's happier there than he is with them. Oh, that would have been so you know? good. And then you can have the next two episodes play out pretty much the way they play out. I mean, you can still play all that stuff out. But it's so much more on theme with Angel being the one that gets sucked through the portal. I would have given that a six. Yeah, I would have loved that. <laughs> I would have loved that. I think that would have been so much better. So yeah, like I'm, I'm a little disappointed. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm not going to lie. And, and I don't mind, like, again, a single raindrop, Cordy being put in danger. Like this is the whole thing. Everybody in the community gets put in danger on occasion. That's how it works. That's how these stories work. And that's fine. But it being constantly Cordy, mm-hmm. constantly Cordy, whose consent is, <laughs> you know, yeah is violated in every way. Not to mention the fact that then we have this testing and this torture on Cordy, which she's clearly being tortured. You know, she's curled up in a weeping ball on the ground, Mm -hmm. right? And we erase that trauma with a shower, a gold bikini, some peeled grapes. And jewelry. Don't forget the jewelry. Yeah. And makeup. Right. You know, and then suddenly she hasn't been tormented. No, those hot pokers in your eye, they go away when they give you a tiara. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. Like the erasure of trauma for women always bugs me. And here we have it yet Mm -hmm. again. I mean, Cordy has been violated 15 ways from Sunday. Like we have violated this poor character in a year and a half so much, you know, and so erasing her trauma again to me is just I'm like, I'm so done with that. I'm with you on that. You know, you're going to abuse this woman, then you're going to have to earn it by dealing with the aftermath of that abuse mm-hmm. with her PTSD, which, God, she must have by this oh, point. Yeah. You know? And ongoing debilitating visions. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Like all mm-hmm. of it. I think that you just, we make it a joke because we have her do an irony smash every time she has a, a vision. Yeah. It's just, it drives me crazy. But anyway, so that's enough of me railing <laughs> on about that. What do you got for research mode? Okay, so one tiny thing. I kind of love that the book refused to go through the portal. And I yeah. saw that as the book making a choice. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think that book was absolutely. like, hell no, I ain't going. <laughs> I'm not going I'm not back. Going back. Right. <laughs> I don't know why. It just absolutely tickled mm-hmm. me. But I keep thinking about how and why that original portal opened for Lorne. 
Uh-huh. Is this something about being chosen, being meant to leave there? Like, what? I, I, I still don't. I don't know. There's just something about the. I think it was just. Yeah. I think it was just dumb luck, like right place at right time. But you know, like Lauren says, gift horse mouth, not looking at it. That's true. <laughs> but you know, I want to know why. So, right. but my big question was a story question for you. Mm-hmm. So, what is the frame or term or narrative purpose of sending characters to a new world, especially in a show that is already fantastical? Yeah. Well, usually a new world, like a new world, a literal new world is going to require like a fantastical or a sci-fi context. Um, Although thematically, the stranger in a strange land, fish out of water stories have that element. I mean, look at Northern Exposure is absolutely Mm -hmm. that, right? You know, fish out of water is, is, you know, our within the world we're in kind of putting somebody in a strange new place and giving them new context to deal with. And that's always fun because, you know, I mean, that's a, a very common experience. Like people end up in situations that they are completely unprepared for and how they deal with that is something that's always an interesting thing to talk about in fiction. Um, I don't know if there's a specific term for these stories, like specifically in a fantasy or sci-fi context, but TV Tropes calls it trapped in a new world, which seems to apply here. Right? You know, you get sucked through a portal and boom, there you are. Um, and given the Wizard of Oz reference, you know, in two of the four Pylea arc episodes, we have Over the Rainbow and then later on we're going to have There's No Place Like Plurge which I can never <laughs> Else. That seems, you know, fairly appropriate, this, okay. this getting sucked into the new world. And of course, you know, it's part of of like the uh, the hero's journey mm-hmm. that Joseph Campbell talked about, you know, going to the new world, getting the elixir, returning with the elixir, that kind right. of thing. So, so we always have this sense of like throwing somebody out of their comfort zone and forcing them to be heroic in a place that they are not familiar with and, and don't know how to handle. Okay. But there's, there's a lot of different kinds of ways that people talk about those kinds of stories, but I don't think like mm-hmm. one name for it at least not that I'm aware of I was curious and then I wonder like yeah. with the Pilea arc or, or with this part of the story who is the protagonist here so is it Lorne mm-hmm. because he's having to go back home is it Angel because he's going after Cordy is it Cordy because she has to survive this new place is it Fred because hello we still have Fred no one seems to care <laughs> right. I care and does it matter like I, but I'm just trying to figure out whose story is this Right. Well, I mean, I think it does matter. I think that the protagonist is this is the character who the the viewer, the reader follows through the story with, you know, you ride on the back of the protagonist. Mm-hmm. So it, it does matter. But the, the three defining characteristics of a protagonist is that they are the POV character, they have the most at stake, and they provide the motive force it means that in, in search of their goal in pursuit of their goal, they're making these things happen that move the story okay. forward, you know. Um, so in, in a TV episode, commonly, you'll have like an A story, a B story. Sometimes you'll even have a C story, depending on how everything is structured. But in any given A story, B story, C story, or whatever, in an episode of television, you can have a protagonist who owns that part of the story. So in a single episode, you could have, you know, three protagonists for three different stories, you know? For example, in Guys Will Be Guys, Wesley owns the part where he's pretending to be Angel, and Angel owns the part where he's talking to the fake Tishmagev. And then at the end, those um, kind of pull together, and Angel sort of slides into Wesley's okay. story. So here, I think the A story is Cordelia in the New World. You know, So I'd say she's the clear protagonist of that story, and she basically, her goal is just to survive. You know, She does have a lot to um, lose. She has the most at stake in that story, of course, because she's going to get killed by these mm-hmm. people. You know, and 
and she's providing the motive force until you know she gets she gets kidnapped but then she you know still tries to give them a warning about you know about the vision that she had and and try to help them uh which of course gets her into more trouble uh, but definitely the a story belongs to cordelia uh the b story of save cordelia i think angel is the one who feels her loss most fiercely so he has the most to lose if they don't go get Cordelia. Um, I think we're in his POV. I feel fairly comfortable that we're in his POV for most mm-hmm. of that. Um, and he's providing the motive force by insisting that Lauren come along by, you know, bugging Wesley to figure it out faster, leaving the message for Gunn if they don't come back. So I would say that that is definitely Angel's story. Lauren's part of the story in which he's resisting going, but also trying to get information to help them is a C story. Um, so I'd say like that's a very light story. You know, his struggle, his struggle with his internal conflict mm-hmm. there. And it's not really well told because they paint him as a coward instead of somebody who's really struggling between these two things as opposed to absolutely decided not mm-hmm. to go, you know. And sadly, we don't see Gunn's story at all, which could be a whole episode with an A story for Gunn in itself. And we don't do that. So basically, I think it's just those three. I think it's Cordelia, Angel and and Lorne in this episode. I love asking questions to a brilliant person that I'm podcasting with and getting answers that are (laughs) applicable and make sense and coherent. You're so damn smart. God, stop it. Why don't you Okay, breathe? Albert. <laughs> Over the Rainbow brings the team to Pilea and turns the tables on them. Angel is not on fire in the sunlight, and Cordy goes from slave to princess. It's part of the Pilea arc, so it's a watcher, even though we kind of like to get the team back home, but we've got to finish this arc so we can find out about Fred. Fred! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All right, so Dr. Jones, what's making you thirsty this week? So I'm just going to say, Fred was working in a library and studying to be a physicist, and if she was posting a personal, I would message her. (laughs) And Aggie. Because Mm -hmm. damn. And then there was this one really darling line from Angel when he was walking with a sword that he said, pretty tasty Uh here. And I thought, all right, maybe a little thirsty. I love it. (laughs) And I'm adding in an honorary cup of tea for you and Wesley. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kelly, what's your favorite part? So my favorite part was Lauren and music and his appreciation for beauty that he grew up never knowing, Mm -hmm. you know, and and then sort of Aggie as Lauren's mystical equal. Yeah. And telling him deep down, you've always known you'd have to take one last trip back home. Yeah. Because you can take that apart in many layers, and I really love it. Aww. <laughs> what about you? What's your favorite part? Well, aside from the stupid Jack Benny nonsense, mm-hmm. um, Angel is my favorite part. I mean, I love his delight at being in the sun, both in, you know, Cordy's fake sun TV set and in the new world. You know, it's mm-hmm. just he's able to actually be in the sun. And whenever we see him in the sun and just delighting in that, oh, God, it touches my heart every time, yeah. you know. But I also love how deeply he feels Cordelia's absence and that he will move heaven and earth to get her back. How important that is. You know, when he says, I just got her back, like you see, he doesn't express that much. He doesn't express his depth of emotion very much. And when he does, I just find it so incredibly powerful. Yeah. He can be really sweet. 
All right, that's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag still dead. For more in-depth discussion, visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum and join in the fun. Or you can support Chipperish Media to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat and Discord where you can hang out with me and Lonnie and all the Chipperish patrons who rip Lauren's images into tiny pieces, feed them to the swine, butcher the pigs, and have their remains scattered for the dogs. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support for Still Dead by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a review. That's one of the most effective ways to show your support for any podcast you love. Or you can use your social media platform of choice to shout us out to your friends. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. And to say thanks to our rogue demon hunters who take the time to write reviews, we turn to the Prophecy Scrolls. I'm writing these in reverse chronological order, so post your review and you'll hear your prophecy soon. This one is for our very own Noelle Allow. Noelle! Lauren's dismissal of libraries is causing intertextual chaos, opening portals in libraries across the world, and the books are pissed. <laughs> it's up to you to help our favorite seer find his literary true love. The powers that be have awarded you a budget for this task. You may want to buy liquor and vowels. I highly recommend all the O's. Lauren may need your help getting his very own library card. I swear to God, my favorite part is always your prophecy. <laughs> I would go and give us a five-star review just for one of them, but I'm going to have to do it under oh. a pseudonym because it looks really weird to do that on my own podcast. I'll just have to write one for you at the end of the at season. At the end of the be... series, I want to get a yeah. prophecy. Thank you. Yes, I will. <laughs> All right. We will be back next time with Season 2, Episode 21, Through the Looking Glass, which is a watcher. And Episode 22, There's No Place Like Flirt's Glurb, which is also a watcher. And it is also the Season 2 finale. Until then, turning into a freakish four-man Siamese twin was a risk? How come nobody told us that was a risk? fucking charisma carpenter who put up with that bullshit i mean jesus we are gonna have a discussion about what they do to cordelia because fuck that i mean god really and don't you just want to put her and carrie fisher on side by side thrones and let them cuss out everyone who made them wear those bikinis yes and you know what i want them in side by side thrones wearing sweatpants wearing something fucking yoga pants yes and no makeup and no bra whatever they're comfortable whatever they want i don't care if it shows skin as long as it's skin that they want to show and that they're not being objectified with that's all i have to say i'm gonna read the thing okay (laughs) (laughs) i'm leaving that in god damn it all right you put it at the end okay (laughs) 